Hi, and welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in New Brunswick and Highland Park. Part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. Today's episode, Jesus Came for Sinners, is the fourth in our series called Why Jesus Came, with the conversation being led by Elder Curtis Johnson. Thank you all for, for being here today. Excited to, yeah, just to share with you. And as we're approaching the end of our Advent series, uh, I, want to, I want to zero in on the topic of why, why did Jesus come and how the, today's topic, the question is, who did Jesus come for? Uh, and personally, I love this topic because it's often surprising. Uh, the answer that we find in Scripture is oftentimes surprising. Who did Jesus come for? Uh, even from his birth, we began to see how Jesus was going to be a very different leader and lead a very different life than we might expect. So Jesus was, was this kingly figure who had been prophesied for, for hundreds of years. And, and he comes, he comes not heralded by trumpets, not heralded by, by royal courts. He comes in, in a very non-kingly way and is greeted by people you would not expect to greet a Jewish king. Uh, you, you see these illustrations uh, you know, in our neighborhoods, on people's porches and on their lawns, this open barn with, with sometimes you'll see it with shepherds around that probably haven't showered in a couple weeks, let's be real, if, if ever. And, and then there's uh, some wise men as well. And you know, the scene as a whole is it's just it's, it's wrong. Like, this, is, this is not what uh, a king a king of the Jews, a king of the world should have been like. Uh, and uh, this last week, I was actually looking specifically into the wise men. I, I didn't know a whole lot about them. Who were they? What did they do? And the more I researched them, the more I was like, wow, they're really wrong. Because, you know, one, they, they weren't Jewish. And here, here Jesus is the king of the Jews. Uh, and, and two... You know, if these are if these are Jesus's royal attendants as Jesus the King, um, yeah, they're they they're just an odd figure because because they're from a country they're from the areas of Persia and Babylon. They're from a country that is on again, off again, enemies of Rome. And Jesus was born in a Roman colony. So here, if you will picture with me, as the wise men come to visit Jesus, there's this entourage of foreign agents, all their assistants, their bodyguards, coming into a country where they might not even be welcomed to, to like worship, worship a king, a savior that they don't even believe in. And this is, this is a really odd picture. So... And then we also look at the shepherds too, right? I said the ones that, you know, probably, probably fit the aroma of the open barn. Uh, you know, if, if I had been wanting to choose a herald of the birth of someone who is really important, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have choose them. They, they don't have Insta, you know, and, <laughs> you know, they, they wouldn't be able to reach influential people. It would have turned into these, these rumors and these strange stories that just filled the countryside. 
So these are not necessarily the people I would have invited to the welcoming party of Jesus being born on, on earth. So, yeah. You know, actually, I think they, they, they might have even been the people I would have intentionally not invited to that party. So, so on that topic, I, I want us just to, to turn to uh, people at our tables and talk for a moment. Have you ever had a party or celebration where you intentionally did not invite someone and they came anyway? And, and how did that go? So let's just open us up with that, take a couple minutes, and I'll bring us back. Okay. I imagine we could probably go on for, for a while on this topic, but uh, I want to hear from some of you. Have, have you ever had a celebration where, yes, you did invite someone and they came anyway? Uh, me and this guy were in the same fellowship in undergrad, and I really didn't like him, so I would plan our freshman dinners for a time when he wouldn't show up. And, <laughs> and one time he did, and it was awkward, but then I ended up marrying him eventually. <laughs> That, that is great. That is awesome. I'll, 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 next, next. That was a good one. How can we follow that up? All right. Next. I'm sure I, I see a lot of laughter. I'm sure there were a couple more stories. Anyone else want to share? Yes. Thank you, youth table. I was banking on you guys. So I was turning 15, and I was having my quinceañera. And so the, the ballroom space that we had was, like, pretty small. And so we invited about 150 people, right? Because that was, like, maximum capacity. And there's this one guy I really did not want to go. Like, did not want him to go. And so we see him at a party one time. And my mom, she gets along with everyone, right? So she's talking to him. We're dancing. We're dancing. He's like, yeah, I'm not invited, but it's whatever. And my mom's like, oh. Fanny, why didn't you invite him? Gives him a hug and a kiss. Of course you're invited. I'm like, bro. I'm like, um, you need an invitation to get in. And then my friend Giselle comes up and she's like, oh no, you can come with us. It's fine. We have an extra pass. And I'm like, uh, and I'm like, no. And so yeah, he ended up coming anyway. All right, all right. Anyone, anyone else? Anyone else? I heard some rumors of, like, following that story. Don't say that. Don't say that. That's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay, uh, let's, uh, I'll, I'll move us along if no one else has, to, has another story to share. All right. So, um, thank you, everyone. Thank you, both of you, for sharing. Um, I, love, I love your stories. I love especially how, how you ended up marrying. That, that, is, that is great. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, what, what I think is, is so crazy is that, you know, there's definitely people like this in Jesus' time. You know, it's not just today. It's not just, just yeah, our circles of friends. There is definitely people like this in Jesus' time where, you know, you would not have thought that they would be invited to a party. Yet what was so surprising about Jesus was how he invited them in, how he brought them in. Uh, you know, we see this, we see this with, with that uh, scene of, of the people in the, around the barn, you know, these un, unlikely people. This was, this, if you look at the narrative of Jesus' birth, this was a supernatural event. There was literally a, a celestial body that was indicating where Jesus was born, that moved through the sky. It, it is a miraculous event, and it was done to bring these wise men there there were angels that appeared to bring the shepherds there, and these, these were the people that God wanted to bring in to his party. 
Uh, as we look at today's passage, we see another example of someone you definitely would not have wanted to invite to your party if you were an uh, early follower of Jesus. Um, it's uh, written by uh, a, a, you would not have invited him at first. He had a pretty radical life transformation, but his name is Paul, and uh, yeah, you would not have invited him to your party because he's, uh, yeah, he was just one of those guys that had it out for everyone who was following Jesus. And uh, I, I just, I want to invite us to look at this passage as an example of how Jesus transforms our lives. You know, we've been looking at this the last couple weeks. We, last week, we, we talked about how Jesus invites us into transformation with those who, who we do not get along with, with our enemies. We've also talked about how Jesus invites us into this transformation uh, with, with where we find our fulfillment, where we are looking for, for our rescue from, where our meaning from. And, uh, and here we, uh, we, see, we, see, uh, we see an example of, of someone who responded powerfully to that invitation of Jesus. So the passage is from the first book of Timothy. It was a letter written to, to uh, another early follower, another uh, early leader of the Jesus movement named Timothy, and uh, it's written by Paul. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considers me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a couple things I, I really love about this passage, uh, and the first is how it illustrates that Jesus calls all kinds of people to him. You know, Paul, like I said, Paul was not that person you would have invited to your party as an early follower of Jesus. Uh, it's, his life is well documented. The, the harms that he did towards the early Christian community are well documented, but they're alluded here. He says, as a blasphemer, you know, he, he, he was aware of Jesus' teaching. He had probably heard them while Jesus was alive here on earth, and he had wholly rejected them. He did not just reject the teachings of Jesus. He rejected who Jesus was himself, who he said he was. He rejected this idea that Jesus, this, this lowly person born in a barn, that he could be the Messiah. He could be the one that was going to rescue us. Because who wants to be rescued by someone born in a barn? That's just, you know, that's, we want someone to rescue us that comes, that comes with power. Uh, and, and Paul refused to believe this, rejected that Jesus could be the rescuer that he said that we all needed. Uh, it moves on as a persecutor and a violent man. And 
you know, Paul devoted his early life to, to destroying, to disrupting the early Jesus movement. You see, before being saved by Jesus, before having a, a radical, life-altering encounter with, with Jesus himself as after, after Jesus had died and rose again, after having a powerful, powerful encounter with the resurrected Jesus, Paul was an up-and-coming leader in the Jewish religion. He, was, he had traveled around all, all of ancient Judea, just trying to, trying to hunt down Jesus' followers, charging them with crimes against the Jewish religious laws. He imprisoned them. He even ordered and oversaw the executions and murders of the leaders of that community. He was zealous, but he was zealous for, for all the wrong reasons, and, and eventually he had that powerful, that radical experience with the resurrected Jesus and was convinced that, that yes, Jesus was, in fact, this Messiah that he had said he was while he was here on earth, and that Paul, what Paul had been doing was all wrong. Uh, the second paragraph uh, in, in our passage states that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And his experience wasn't unique. Uh, Paul's experience wasn't unique. I, you know, I, I want to be sensitive. I think sometimes in today's culture, that title is, 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 is pretty offensive sometimes, that, that the title of sinners. And here Paul says that of himself. He didn't say that in judgment of someone else, but he looked at his life. He looked at what he had done, and he said, yes, I, I have been the worst, yet, yet Jesus has rescued me. Uh, I, I mentioned that his experience wasn't unique, and we see this with a lot of the other early followers of Jesus, too. Uh, some of the other early disciples were, were equally radical. And in the narrative of, of Jesus' life, known as the Gospel of Luke, he, he lists out all of, all of the uh, followers, all the main followers of his. And I'm going to just uh, read a couple of them here, not the full list, out of sake of time. But it says, Jesus called uh, a few key people. He chose 12 whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, Matthew and Thomas, and Simon, who he called the zealot. Or excuse me, Simon, who was called a zealot. Um, and, and I love this list because when you look at it, first, you know, first there's a, a couple humble fishermen. There is Simon, who he called Peter, and then there's James and John. We will, we will come back to them later. Don't let me forget. But then we, we get to Matthew, who was a tax collector, and I think it's just so incredible that, that this was someone that Jesus invited to him. Because as a tax collector, Matthew would have been despised, despised, just reviled by, by other Jews. At the time, the tax collectors were collaborators with the Roman governor, government and governor. They were, they were local Jews that knew the population, but they, they worked with the Roman government to enact taxes to, to fund the army that was occupying their country, that was desecrating the temple, that was oppressing their people. And here, here was someone who was helping the Roman government mechanism make that happen. If, if traitor, if collaborator was not a bad enough title, he took it a step further. 
and, and he stole from others. He, he purposely extorted additional taxes beyond what was needed so he could line his own pockets and become very wealthy in the process. And so, so here was someone that was a traitor, a thief, and it was someone that Jesus invited into a new life with him as well. This was, this was in Paul's word, a sinner that Jesus came to save. And next, there's Thomas. And, you know, we don't know a whole lot about Thomas, but uh, what he's famous with, if, if, uh, if you've been around the Christian community for a while, you might have heard of Doubting Thomas. And that's, that's really almost all we know about him, is that he's famous because he doubted Jesus in a key moment. That Jesus had died, he had been resurrected, and he had been he had shown, he, was, he revealed himself to most of the early disciples. But Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas, when he heard about it, he was like, no, no, I've lived with, with Jesus for the last three years, but I won't believe that he could come back. I won't believe unless I can see him and touch him with my own hands. And so this, is, this was someone that Jesus invited in, someone known for their doubt. And then, and then my personal favorite, my personal favorite is Simon the Zealot. Uh, in today's language, we might call him Simon the, the terrorist, Simon the revolutionary, uh, you know, think of think of uh, of a FARC rebel with you know a beret or whatever whatever image you want. You know, this this was this was Simon. Uh, you know, he before being encountered, or excuse me, before encountering and being transformed by Jesus, he would have been part of an organization that was known for for murdering and executing Roman officials ambushing Roman troops whenever possible, stealing money from, from Roman government, murdering collaborators, look out Matthew, murdering the collaborators. And, and here, here Jesus invited Simon the Zealot in, into, into a new life with him. If we look at some of the others of Jesus' early followers, we would come to see, we'd come to find drunks, we would find prostitutes, we would find other pagan outsiders. These, these were not people that you ex would expect to be invited into the party. Yet these were the people that Paul tells us Jesus came to save. The murderers, the prostitutes, the traitors, the terrorists. So I want to take a pause here. I see our list up here. I want to take a pause and, and, and dig into it a little bit deeper because I think the implication for us as individuals and as a community is, is pretty big. So let's, let's turn to our neighbors again and, and discuss the question of how do we feel that Jesus showed mercy to the people listed on here? How do we feel that Jesus shows mercy to the people on this list? I'll bring us back in a couple minutes. All right. Uh, a, a little bit of a... Uh, of a more somber conversation than our first, uh, our first discussion. But nonetheless, I think this is valuable for us as a community. Uh, for, uh, just surveying the crowd, what, uh, what are some of your responses? Who, who wants to share? How do you feel that, that Jesus came to save the people on this list? I heard some great conversations as I joined you guys. Uh, yeah, please share. How, how do you feel about this? Uh, I, I said that... Um like, Jesus doesn't define them by, like, those things. I think, like, us as, like, humans, we, like, look at people by the things that they do, like, on the outside, but, like, Jesus looks at the inside and doesn't define them by, like, their actions and stuff they've done in the past. Awesome. Thanks, Reggie. 
Who else? Uh, who else wants to to share a thought of oh, over here? Great. I'll come back, Jenny. Um, to summarize some of the things that were said here, it, it kind of gives Jesus a little bit of, of grit because uh, he hung around people who we might not have associated with Jesus' followers. And also, like, he, he was very a very real person who um, just, he didn't look like what, what we thought he did because of the, the people he hung out with. Thank you, Tim. And I'll be back, Anna. I think what we were discussing here was um, just the fact that, like, Jesus could have been born in, like, this palace, right? Or he could have been born of royalty. But the whole, like, the whole intent in doing whatever he did was to kind of show us that, like, he has mercy for everybody. Not just the people that are at the top, nor, like, just the people that are at the bottom. It's for everybody. And, like, I think even when he was here, even the people that were on the top didn't even really want to pay attention to what he had to say anyway. And so it kind of adds on to it but then um like the point was brought up where it was like um you know if like someone like murder such an intense like word to say so if someone was to murder something and somebody and then they decide decide to repent like does god just kind of let them through per se and that kind of brings up the question and like it makes us wonder like you know what how does that whole system work um but i kind of brought up the point where it's like even with like moses when they were on their journey to the promised land right he got frustrated, he got upset, did something to, like, kind of prove or, you know, he kind of caved in into what people wanted. And God said, you're not going to see the promised land. Like, I'm not going to let you do that. So that was the restriction that got placed upon him. So we're just wondering about things like that and, like, you know, if these intense things do happen and you're able to meet Jesus after that, like, what does that look like? Thank you, Jenny. Uh, We'll come here, Anna, for the last one. So, uh, okay, so, (laughs) so I think, uh, so I've been uh, listening to an autobiography of John Newton, and some of you guys know that he's the person who wrote Amazing Grace, the song, Um, and then uh, others, uh, some others might know that he was a slave trader, Um, and so, like, I guess, yeah, so, like, he had, like, you know, one of those dramatic, like, conversion stories, but, like, just reading the nitty-gritty details of his story, like, I, uh, he was a slave captain, and, like, slave captains had, like, access to the slave woman on board, and so they could do whatever they wanted to them, and John Newton participated when he was a slave captain, and so I think that was just, that was really hard to accept, because I think a lot of times I like to sort of exalt Christian leaders, but, like, <laughs> he was really messed up, like, I think for a lot of his life, he dealt with, like, lust for, like, like woman, slave woman, and so, like, yeah, it was really hard for me to grapple with, and just talking to my partner at this table, it's just sort of, like, I don't know, it might be related to, like, difficulty at seeing, like, God show, Jesus show mercy to other people, might be related to, like, having difficulty receiving mercy, because I feel like, how often do I beat up myself when I screw up, right, and how I cannot just let go and just be, like, Jesus forgives me. So I think, I think mercy is a very difficult concept to understand and accept. Thank you, Anna. We ran out of time. 
We will, uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone, uh, but I do need to move on for the sake of time or else we will be here well past lunch. Because um, yeah, it is, it is, it is a, very, a very challenging topic. Um, I mean, I hope, I hope that we are encouraged by, by some of this, but certainly, yeah, brought up very valid, valid points as well, that this is, that this is challenging to grapple with. Um, you know, and my hope for us today, that just as Paul wrote, that just as Paul wrote that, that Jesus came, yeah, right there, that the very reason I was shown mercy was that in me, the worst sinners, Christ might display his immense patience that Jesus came for sinners. Um, I, I hope that, that as we think about this, whether it's slave traders and rapers, whether it is these, the murderers, the adulterers, the terrorists, the, whatever it is, you know, the, it gives us this, this picture. It illustrates that if Jesus can save the worst, there is hope for us. There's nothing that we can do that we don't have documented evidence that Jesus has overcome that in the past. Um, you know, and, and I, I think uh, I, I was talking with someone that I think I asked him, you know, do you, uh, you know any of, your, any of the people you know are kind of up there on that list? And he said no. And, and I think, you know, for most of us, that's true, right? If we look up here by, by, by God's grace, we may not see ourselves here. I think if we are honest, however, we, we will recognize we have inclinations towards this. Whether, whether, it is, whether it is anger, whether it is adulterous thoughts, whether it is a tendency towards, towards self-preservation and self-advancement at, at the cost of anyone, whatever, whatever these, these tendencies are, the, these, these problems and proclivities that we live life through, that that if God can save the worst sinner, there is, there is hope for us as well. The second thing I, I love about this passage is, is what we see right here in the very top of the, very, the first paragraph, and that is how Paul talks about his life and about, about his calling, um, and, also, and also who called him. You know, uh, he says that he was the worst sinner, but, but he was shown mercy. And that Jesus himself, Jesus himself appointed him and to serve and to be a leader in this, this early Jesus movement that he had once persecuted. And, and I, I think this is an important and a valuable thing for us to look at because oftentimes, oftentimes as, as, we, as, we, as we encounter Jesus, as we learn about his salvation, as we, as we begin this transformation journey with him, we think about it more in the terms of what we leave behind than what, what we begin. We think about more about, about, about the emptiness, about maybe like, oh, I can't do that. But we don't, we don't look at, at the new things that, that Jesus brings to, with him and uh, the new things, the new life that we receive. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's not what we see here in, in Jesus' scriptures. That's not what we see. Uh, and, and I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think this, this must have been so powerful for Paul specifically, having come from someone who had persecuted the church. Just, just imagine that, that, you know, as he became a Jesus follower, having just days ago, you know, tried to kill their leaders, uh, just imagine what, what that must have been like, you know, gathering in a gathering like, like here, and he was that one guy in the room that no one sat with. Like, like the whole room went someplace else. And, and yet... 
you know, yet he was able to, to go to Jesus and he was able to, to, to meet Jesus in prayer and to, be, to hear from Jesus that Jesus considers him trustworthy. As, as someone who was, who, was, who was an outsider, who was, who was facing loneliness, who was facing distrust, who wasn't accepted into the community, think uh, to, to be able to hear that. You know, we, this, this letter was you know, written as, after Paul had followed Jesus for many years, uh, and we don't know a whole lot about those first, those first handful of years. I, I, we, what we do know is that there were rough moments. There were moments just like I talked about that communities did not want to accept him, did not want to welcome him because exactly of the name that he had made for himself. And um, yeah, I, I just love how, how as, as Paul encountered his mercy, you know, not only was, was he affirmed in his trustworthiness, but he was given this new identity, this new calling as well, that he was appointed to his service. Yeah, so what we see in this passage is that Jesus doesn't just, just doesn't call us uh, to, to leave behind the old, doesn't just take away the old, you know, he, he doesn't leave us with emptiness, he, 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 gives, us, he gives us new. He doesn't leave us wanting, he, he gives us fulfillment. He gives us, he leads us into a new life and a new identity. And, and I think... Uh, you know, especially as we look at that new identity as, as a leader, you know, it says appointed me to his service, appointed Paul to the service of Jesus in the early church. Uh, I, if, we, if we do some study, we, we might be tempted to, to, to think, yeah, just to think that this was a result of maybe Paul's background or, or Paul's, Paul's fam, good family standing, whatever it is. And I want to meet that head on because, yes, yes, Paul... Paul was from a good family. We know that he was a Roman by birth, and so that gave him in that culture special entitlements, special privileges. Um, and, and, you know, we, we know that he was a scholar. He may have been wealthy as, as a Roman citizen, but, but I don't want us to think that his transformation into a leader in Jesus' community, a leader of, of, of the church, isn't exceptional. I don't want us to think that. And, and I said I'd come back to those lowly fishermen, right? And, and I'm going to come back to them now because we look at them, Simon, who Jesus called Peter. We look at James and John, the three, those three. You know, they, were, they were humble fishermen. They were poor, uneducated men from the countryside. They weren't even from the right countryside. You know, they, there was like Jerusalem, there was Judea, and then there was everything else that we don't really care about. And they were part of that. They were part of that everything else. And here, here they were, Simon, who Jesus called Peter, James and John, invited into, into a new life, invited to, 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 to leave behind what they had, to receive Jesus' mercy, and be transformed into people that we, the world over 2,000 years ago, still speak about, still study, and, and, and look to as examples of, of how we can, we can follow Jesus. So if we look at that whole, the whole group of those early followers, Paul included, again, we have murders, we have thieves, we have prostitutes, social outcasts, we have traitors, the list goes on. And Jesus saved them all and gave them all a new calling and a new identity in life. The final idea that I want us to, to look to think about is how, how Jesus calls us into this journey together. 
Uh, it's, it's outside of this story, but if we, when we look at the calling of, of Paul, the first thing he does was tell, tell Paul, first thing Jesus does is tell Paul to go to this other Jesus follower. And that Jesus follower had been told in a dream that this was going to happen, and he still was just absolutely terrified. Like, no way, I know who this guy is. But he called Paul into this relationship, and that other early Jesus follower became, he, he testified on Paul's behalf that this person could be welcomed into the community. You know, Matthew, Matthew and Simon the Zealot, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just can't imagine that, right? Uh, I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I won't get into modern politics, never mind. Uh, I, I just, just, you know, there's, there, there's no way that these people would have gotten together. There's someone who, who built their life on trying to overthrow the Roman government and another person who built their life, you know, patting their pockets and becoming comfortable at the expense of everyone else on behalf of the Roman government. And, and Jesus called them together into this journey for holistic well-being. And I just think that's so powerful because today as we grow together with each other, you know, we have a role to play in each other's lives to help us identify areas of our lives that we, that we haven't surrendered to Jesus and haven't, yeah, that, those areas that, that are causing us harm. And then we also have a powerful role to encourage other people as well, to identify, to identify how Jesus, how Jesus sees you. Does he see you as trustworthy? How Jesus gives you gifts, how he can appoint you into, into this community. So, so as, we, as we just bring, bring it into a close, I want, us to, I want to encourage us along those lines. Uh, I want to encourage us first, first, there, the first group of people maybe who, who haven't had, haven't had this, this, this encounter with Jesus, this transformational encounter with Jesus, if, I mean, if that's you, I want to encounter, I want to encourage you to that list that, that if Jesus can save these people, he can save you too. There's a second group I want to encourage that, as I mentioned, you know, I think it's easy for us as, as we begin this life with Jesus to, 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 not, to not take that second step. We take the first step into, into leaving the old, but we don't take that second step into, into walking into the new. And I want to encourage us as well that if, if Jesus can save the, the worst of sinners and he can transform their lives, he can give them a new identities, he can affirm their beings, and he can, he can use them powerfully for, for his work here on earth, you know, he can do that for you as well. So I want to encourage us in those two areas. Can you join me in a final word of prayer here this morning as we wrap things up? God, we are thankful for... This time to, again, pause, reflect, and engage with our spiritual journey. And as we have thought about, again, why Christmas? Why you came? And as we think about this reality that you came to save, to touch even the worst of us, we're thankful, God. We're thankful for this thing called mercy. It's hard to receive. It's hard to to embrace because it is so challenging it, it rocks our perceptions of what's acceptable and not thank you thank you for reaching even the worst of us and so we say thank you for this season we say thank you for the work uh, that you did some 2,000 years ago in this Christmas time to make our connection our life with you possible our future with you possible 
Would you be with us throughout this week? Be with us as we love and serve our neighbors. Be with us as we receive your love and your mercy afresh day by day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, visit us at ethnosmb.com.